This is the podcast for Indelible for the week of November 5th, 2017. So there's many things going on right now, and yet still new doors seem to open to information or support for my effort here. So I continue on, and I don't know how this project will complete, but I continue on until either it's done or it's clear that I should not continue it for some important reason that uh, is impossible to resolve. I am much more selective about what I choose to discuss here because there seem to be repercussions to what I say. So I suppose I am being trained, in a sense, like a Pavlovian dog. But I also do practice methods to keep up my autonomy and my inner confidence and strength. This is very important for anyone working on difficult research, which I'm sure you all know that if you're undertaking such a project. I filed a Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request, with the Parole Commission in Washington, D.C. for audio transcripts of the parole hearings between the years of 2000 and 2017 of the man, actually 2016, um, for the man I had been communicating with in a federal prison who I mentioned in the last podcast. If you want to learn more about him and how he is related to this project, you can listen to the May 2016 podcast um, where I mention him. Um, It's before I met him. It's when I first discovered information about him. His initials are A-R-D, and he's been in prison for 38 years. He was one of the kids trained for mercenary work as a young teen in a similar area of California as Carl Harp was when he was targeted and trained and where he lived. Um, ARD was uh, never really carried out mercenary work abroad as as Harp did um, because he ended up uh, making a mistake and uh, landing in prison at a, at a very young age so um, he you know and, and in some senses I think that's why he is still alive because uh, most of the kids that Harp was trained with um, were all deceased by 1981, as I have mentioned before. After I did the May 2016 podcast, um, this man, ARD, his parole was changed at during a parole hearing in May 2016, so the same month. And... Um, and it was changed from a release date where he was supposed to be released on September 24th, 2016 to never being allowed to be released. And part of the reason why this change occurred was because the Department of Homeland Security made an unannounced appearance via video conference at his um, during his parole hearing. So um, this this 
concerned me. And um, anyway, it, but it's my concern. I just want to be clear about that. It, it's not his concern. I'm going separating myself from him. It's like it's my concern, and he and I differ on our opinions about things, and that's fine. So I just wanted to be clear about that. When I learned about this change of his parole, I tried to get more information about why it occurred. Um, I did talk to his um, defense attorney. I think I think I talked to both of them um, for his original case, but neither wanted to discuss his case. And um, I was basically encouraged by almost everyone I talked to to reach out to him in prison. And so eventually I did in, in September 2016. And then I I did correspond with him for a long time, for, for a year, almost exactly a year. Um, and um, he did share some information with me. But he is in prison. He's in federal prison. So you have to understand there's a limitation on what he can share and um, what the repercussions would be to him. So, um, and all of that has to be taken in context in terms of what information I received as well. So, but by law, he should have been allowed parole or according to his current legal case, he should have been allowed to be released to a California detainer. So there's a there's state charges that he has to complete allegedly. I don't really understand how that all works, but, and that's in the legal documents. He has a, he has a um, civil case, um, regarding his wrongful denial of parole in federal court in Washington, D.C. But unlike Carl Harp, uh, this man did commit crimes and does not deny it. But it's my position that his training as a kid, caused him to commit these crimes as he was taught to normalize violence in his training and I also feel the responsibility for the deaths that occurred from his programmed responses also falls squarely in the hands of federal law enforcement and the military because had he not been targeted for training he could have thrived and lived a normal life and the innocent victims would not have been harmed but the government and federal law enforcement, the military, prefer to see him as the only one who pays a price or suffers. And he has suffered a lot. But he has also healed, and he has done good work in prison helping others. So I am aware of that. And as I said, he does not share my view about his training. This is only my point of view. But as I've mentioned to others, I believe his inability to see that he too was a victim by this training is a sign of the damage that occurred at the hands of his trainer, a man who was former special ops. And I have learned that many of the former special ops personnel were often only retired on paper for the public, but in fact were still active military this was allegedly true of Timothy McVeigh, a man accused in the Oklahoma City bombing. And um, 
I've learned a little bit more about Timothy McVeigh's case from Jesse Tronadu, who is an attorney in Salt Lake City, and you can look him up. There's a lecture he gave in Seattle a few years ago. Um, Timothy McVeigh was um, has died. He was put to death very quickly um, after his arrest. So, and conviction is those things all happened really quickly. And um, there's been some research, not by Trinidad, but by other people, um, regarding Timothy McVeigh and his military background. I also learned uh, something else about those who found themselves as trainers working for the federal government and helping in this kind of training. And during 1966, when HARP and ARD were teens, Another man who worked for the government, who was from Redwood City, Iowa, which is near Palo Alto, was also targeted for training. After he was trained and was working for the government, one of his superiors told him that the government monitored kids in public schools, looking for specific personality types and talents. They said that they had done so with this man, and once they identified a useful trait or talent, they moved forward to target a kid for specific operations. So the public schools were used as a kind of fishbowl by the federal law enforcement and military. And this was between the years of 1955 and 1966, but it may have gone on longer. And it may still go on. I don't know. This took me by surprise. I really hadn't expected this. And I had to think about the kids in my story. Because although they were from poverty, they were exceptionally talented. The man in prison today, ARD, was an exceptional athlete. But he was also in poverty and so vulnerable If anything happened to disclose his training, he would be unable to defend himself or speak with a valid voice. These characteristics were also a necessity of those seen as a good candidate for this kind of training. And I think it's important to note that um, anyone who questions this, if, if you're not in poverty when you begin questioning, They will make sure that you are in poverty before you complete. Um, It's, you know, they they tighten the noose um, in any way they can. And this is just common. You'll just find this everywhere. Um, For instance, um, Thomas, I think it's Thomas Drake, who was a whistleblower for the, he was an employee of the the NSA and working on a, a project about surveillance of American citizens and, uh, when they couldn't um, arrest him on any kinds of charges or make any charges stick, they basically made it so he could never work again. And he was like a highly skilled programmer and um, working at a high-level job, was a manager, and now he works at an, I think he works at um, an Apple retail store for like $12 an hour. And this is how it works. And the fact they even got that job was was probably a gift. But, um, but anyway, this is how it seems to work. 
The parole commission has denied my access to ARD's parole hearing audio transcripts. So with the parole hearing, the only verbatim transcript is an audio transcript. There are no others. And according to um, ARD's legal documents, he tried to get his 2004 audio transcript and he was told it was destroyed. And according to laws, he's supposed to get a new parole hearing if that's the case, but um, I haven't heard anything that he's that that's being pursued at all, um, which is of concern to me. But my request was also denied by the Parole Commission. Uh, they did not cite any exemption as required by law prior to initially denying it, and they did not respond within the 10-day window that they have to respond to me. They were likely not going to respond at all because I reached out to them on October 27th, over 30 days later, asking about my request. And they responded with just a one-liner that my request was denied. And then they began pushing me to get a signed release from ARD in prison, uh, saying that there was, you know, that it was a privacy issue, that anyone, no one can get those that transcript of a audio recording of the parole um, hearing um, unless they get a signed release from the inmate. But that's not true. I, I did find the legal um, code for that. It's not true. Only if it's a privacy issue, and then and in this case, it would not be. Um, I am told that he would sign a release, but. I'm told this by his legal helper, but I really don't. Um, I, I was told that without asking for him to sign a release. I, I do not want to ask him to sign a release um, for his own safety, re, for reasons of his safety, and, um, and and because it's legally not necessary. So um, anyway, and the fact that they're pushing me so hard to ask him for this release, to get him to sign a release... I find suspect. So the parole commission is really pushing it. Um, and I spoke to an attorney who helps uh, people regarding these kinds of FOIA requests, and he agreed that the parole commission was in the wrong about their response to my request. Um, and one for the fact that they cited no exemptions and just did a, like a blanket statement. And then they did this really odd thing where they said, um, I will not be getting any help regarding the Parole Commission's response from this legal organization who has been helping me. And what? How do they know? And besides that, the organization had already been helping me. So why make that statement to me? So these are the kinds of things that I deal with on a daily basis. So. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so... But anyway, the the attorney told me that uh, the, that the parole commission was in the wrong about their response to my request, and again, in part because they cited no exemptions. So I will be appealing um, at their encouragement, um, and this is so similar to my experience in my request for HARPS documents from the FBI. It's um, uh, it's quite interesting. So I, I'm worried about ARD in prison. I'm worried about him. And 
There are some other things going on, but I don't feel at liberty to discuss them yet. So if you care about these kids, and I call them kids, I know they're men, I know they're getting up towards elderly, <laughs> but to me they're kids because they were the, they were kids who who had their lives changed, taken from them while they were kids. So I care about I care about that. And I think that I don't want that to go on anymore, and I don't want any other people to lose lives or have there be any other deaths because of this kind of training and um, targeting of kids where there ends up being violent, public violence. So if you care about these kids and feel it is wrong what happened to them, and disagree with these kinds of practices at the hands of the military and government agencies, then please reach out to me to learn more, to learn more about ARD and his situation. Um, he, he doesn't know that I'm, I'm asking for this. Uh, he probably wouldn't even want it. Um, so I'm, but I'm saying that because I believe that the more support he has, that's my dog, sorry. The more support he has, the safer he will be, and the safer I will be to complete the project. So um, I look forward to connecting with you, and thank you. Thank you very much.